Welcome to the Everyday Whiteness podcast series, The Uncomfortable Conversations on Well-Meaning White People. This podcast is primarily for white listeners. It's also a podcast for all listeners who unconsciously operate through a lens of whiteness, regardless of the body that you inhabit. It's not meant to shame you for being white or thinking white, but rather to support you in having more awareness of the impact of your whiteness as a cultural code of conditioning. My name is Guru Nishan. I'm a disruptor of cultural indoctrination and actively support the dismantling of false identity by curating uncomfortable conversations on taboo topics hiding in plain sight. I stand committed to the ongoing dismantling of internalized whiteness within myself and to make visible what is often rendered invisible in business, community, and culture. I want to welcome today's guest to the Everyday Whiteness podcast. His name is Toriano Senzoni, CEO and founder of Wolfkeeper University, master dog trainer. Toriano Senzoni has been training professionally for 21 years all around the world. He's a published author, a Wolfkeeper's Guide to Training a Dog, the co-founder of Sea Dog with Sam Petroda who's a former advisor to the Prime Minister of India. Sea Dog is a pet software company currently designing the Wolf Keeper app, an online dog university. Toriano is founder and creator of Wolf Keeper Doga, a form of yoga and Reiki for dogs. He's a former master dog trainer for Caesar Milan at the Dog Psychology Center in Santa Clarita, California. He hosted annual dog training seminars, 2015, 16, 17, and 2018 in Berlin, Majorca, Amsterdam, and Zurich. He's a graduate of Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota, and holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in mass communications and marketing. He's a former marketing specialist for BMG Entertainment, Jive Records, and Navari Corporation. Toriano Sanzoni founded Dopa Dogs in 2001 which became Sanzoni School of Dog Training, which finally became Wolfkeeper University. Wolfkeeper University has trained thousands of dogs all around the world and has worked with some of the greatest dog trainers in the world. Wolfkeeper University has worked hand and hand with some of the best trainers in the world and continues to produce some of the most amazing dog trainers through its Train the Trainer program. If you want to learn more, go to WolfkeeperU. That's the letter U.com. I want to welcome Toriano Sanzoni to the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here, brother. Thank you so, so, so much. And thank you for that. I just got to say that your energy is contagious. You are, you stay consistent with that. Just, uh, but I call that for us, just that, oh, uh, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for receiving me. And thank you, uh, for your voice and just all the incredible stuff you do in the world. Your bio, you know, focuses on your dog training and which is so brilliant as I listen to it, but I know you do so much in this city of Chicago and just who you are and who you've been in the world and continue to be. So I really um, am happy to be having you on this conversation podcast Thank today. Thank you. Um, I want to just start off with what I always start off with in, in asking, uh, what does well-meaning 
white people or when I say well-meaning white people, how does that land or where does that uh, show up for you? Mm, well, I, I take a deep breath when you were just mentioning that. And it's, 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 it's interesting that in 2022 that we even have to still have this conversation. But the fact that we are having this conversation is progress in itself. But what, what lends heavy on my heart is a, a most recent situation of where, you know, a, a, a friend of mine, you know, was referring to <laughs> um, um, as those social equities, you know, so it was like this substitution for the N-word. And um, which at that moment in time, I realized that I have elevated to a level of classism that transcends race. And some of it has to do with my name, you know, Toriano Sanzoni or Tariano Sanzoni, or I can't pronounce it. I just know that it's not a black name, you know. So over the, my last 40 years on this planet, I've been in different situations where my name, my level of education, and my level of economic status has allowed me to transcend race. And that was one. So when I when it, when it was said, those social equities were given this primarily just because of a f- new form of affirmative action. So I'm so, going to pause you. You have so much density packed into what you all, all that you just said. So mm-hmm. first of all, you're talking about a simple interaction you had, say, with a professional business colleague. Oh, right. This is just a okay, basic and this phone is, call going a whole okay. other way. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a phone call with a white business person. Right. Okay. And so the language that you're hearing is he's referring to those social equities, meaning people that are qualifying for a program to get to be a part of something and get funding right. if they are a part of a social equity program or right. in other words, they're black people. Correct. AKA, right. <laughs> so, so in yeah. this context, he just kind of loosely is saying that. And then you referenced, he's saying that to you because in some way, even though you are a black man, your name, which we want to hear the history of, and the work you've done has kind of transcended you through race for people in that are colleague level to see you beyond this black man, but rather speaking to you as if you weren't a black person, but talking about other black people as social equities. Yes. How interesting. Yeah. So how come, how come this white person can be talking to you as if you're not a black person? You're saying it's because you transcended it. Give us, give us some more of that breakdown because you went fast through all the ways you quote transcend race to where they're now talking to you at a, in a class level rather than as a fellow black person. I mean, so just the history of my name, you know, Toriano Sanzoni growing up with that name with um, my father being, Italian American, my mother being Black American, and this is a name, you know, I was given 1974 Bellwood, Illinois, which I'm in a primarily Italian community, right? So I can remember at four years old, my little friend saying, why is your mother Black? And that was a very perplexing conversation to me. Like, I don't know, like, because kids are taught race, kids are taught difference. Um, So fast forward over the years in order for me to fit into this big name i'm just you know the dialogue that i have with certain people and the energy i bring to certain people the dress that i bring to certain people 
you know, is a, on a global level. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't, I can't subscribe to, oh, I'm so upset about just George Floyd by itself because I lived in Kenya and I seen someone lit on fire. <laughs> I mean, so it's bigger than race because, you know, there's different tribes in Kenya that are warring and they look the same. <laughs> I mean, or I have Indian friends that they look the same, but they're dealing with the caste system. So we know is is so in those levels, they are transcending classism because they look the same. In America, we're we're fighting to transcend racism and classism because I don't look the same and I might not have the same, you know, social economic status. You know, so it's a double whammy. We're dealing with two entities, but mm. some I feel that some people of color have have been able to raised to a level of social economic status that the color of their skin can some sometimes temporarily be put on hold. So for example, I'm at a um a a, a meeting, a town hall meeting where two parties were arguing about the naming of a library, right? One party wants to name it the IDB Wells Library and one wants to name it the Little Italy Library. I walk in late you know, my, a person I've known for 20 years, Italian, um, American, um, senior, you know, this guy's over 70 years old, looks to me with his arms crossed and says, as this black American woman's talking, you know, pleading her case to why she feels that it should be named this, tell that black bitch to fucking sit down. And just, and I was like, wow, see how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> you know but at that moment in time i was on that side you know what i mean i was physically sitting with the italians i was physically sitting next to someone that i've known for you know 20 plus years that was a white male identifying as italian american but that that ability to feel that comfortability where I feel that we code switch and people can become comfortable because that just historically goes back to slavery. You know what I mean? Of and of house nigger versus field nigger, you know. Mm. And then house nigger was privy to certain conversations and dialogues. One, just because proxy and default, he was just he or she was in the room. Secondly, you just got comfortable talking around him because it'd be like no different than talking to you know, Mattis the Labrador. <laughs> you mean, because Mattis the Labrador is just a Labrador. You mean, Mattis the Labrador isn't necessarily going to date my daughter or is going, isn't going to, you know, quote unquote, take my job or have dinner at, you know, this five-star, you know, steakhouse. So I can say whatever. But then when Mattis the Labrador, the one with the Mattis Labrador, when it's Tyrone Scott, who you're black for real, because you have bad dental care. I don't like your clothing. You know what I mean? You're an adult male. You're wearing a, you know, a t-shirt, you know, and gym shoes, you know, and I don't like your hair. You don't like your earrings and you probably in a gang. You know, it's easy for me to identify and say like, you know, I'm, if I say something to you, it's derogative for sure. Cause you're clearly black. You know what I mean? And if I say it around this person, that's clearly black too talking about that person it all depends on who's all in the room so if someone that's clearly black then i might not that person that that white person or other might not say that same derogative statement right 
but that's if the person that is not clearly black in their mind. And so I feel like we make these distinctions of who's clearly whatever. You know what I mean? And that's it. And that's it's, and I, I have mercy for people like that because it's so it's an antiquated thought process too. Because you know, for example, you've lived in Kenya, <laughs> so have I. I low key feel like I'm Kenyan. I feel like you would say that you're Kenyan. You know what I mean? Because we've had that exposure. We're not going to go over there and be confused, but someone might look at you and like you know nothing about Kenya. That might because you're a white woman. How would you know anything? Yeah. You know. So without that analogy, I want to come in on this, what you're talking about, because what I really hear is like, it's the psychology, it's like, it's the internal narrative that I'm going to say white bodies of culture, um, because it could be lots of different white bodies that have had, Mm. had, like what you just said, you said, having a, uh, uh, say, uh, the person who is the house person versus the field person, right? Mm-hmm. White bodies have gotten used to just saying whatever they want, but mm-hmm. now, now they're more careful over the years of saying only those things if the right people are in the room. Mm-hmm. And you are in that room, even though you're a Black person, the psychology in your friend's mind may be this person's not really Black. Because in their mind, a black person is associated with, and you listed off things, dirty shirt, bad teeth, you know, low education, name all the things, because that's been a part of the marketing schemata of where black people's category fits in the psychology of white people's training. And so it's so funny to hear what you're saying in that because of a number of reasons. One, you have an Italian name, your dad was an Italian, and then your dad was, your mom was black. And so to even grow up with those differences, it means you're growing up around a culture that traditionally has not always been friendly, right? Black culture and Italian communities haven't always been historically friendly. And yet Italian culture is like the lowest of the white people when white, when, when their culture and Irish people started getting assimilated into whiteness. So like they were considered the N word of the whites, right? So like this is all, anyway, throwing all this out because it it has a lot to do with false ideology, meaning these are marketing schemes that have been used historically to separate classes and, and race was added on top of class, meaning historically class has always been the separation. If we do historical studies, it's always been economics. It's never been color of the skin or the way you look. But there was a time in history where the race thing really became a new strategy. And so there are people like the Jews and the Italians and the Irish got welcomed into the whiteness, which was never a part of those groups because they were a lower social class mm-hmm. and how that translates for you in present day in terms of what that means as a black person that's going in and out of worlds one where black mm-hmm. people quote don't traditionally belong and then two now it gives license for this older italian man mm-hmm. to be able to talk about you as if you're a white person because mm-hmm. you've crossed the color barrier in his own psychology mm-hmm. but that in and of itself is rooted in racism, right? Absolutely. That psychology of what he's doing, even though he thinks he's giving you the friend card or the family card, because on one level, that is what's happening on a cultural, social dynamic. But on another level, it's deeply rooted in in offensive violence that puts Black people in categories that 
are inherently false. Absolutely. And you just made me think of something too, as you were talking, just to echo what you said, Sammy Davis Jr., for example, you know, he's part of this Dean Martin, this Rat Pack, you know, all these Frank Sinatra, all these mega, which later become icons, you know, but Sammy Davis Jr. was Jewish, you know, but he transcended that, but I'm sure- And Black. (laughs) And Black, and Jewish and Black, you know, but you take Sammy Davis Jr. or modern day Sammy Davis Jr., take Lenny Kravitz, who's a Black man, period. His mother's black, his father's Jewish, you know, but he's like this global person. We don't necessarily think Lenny Kravitz think like hood nigga. <laughs> you know what I mean, but at the end of the day, he's black, you know, but he transcends that because he's global, he's an icon, he dresses cool, he's a rock star. So we're cool with Lenny, but we might not be cool with Jay-Z. Because Jay-Z's clearly an N-word, you know. So I think that's the, the the struggle of like it's is which makes racism even that much more complex and where good white folks might say something that they didn't even realize that was racist. They might even say it to another black person because at the end of the day, you're not what, as you pointed out, that's what just blew my mind of what billions of dollars of social media, TV media, print media has programmed you like, this is what a black person looks like. So then the, the psychology of like, if I've been told this, my entire life that this is the characteristics of that person. But then this person's over here like, oh my God, you sound white. Well, what does that mean? Right. It's like a form of cognitive dissonance. You have been trained one thing, right? And then you're watching something not fit that category. You, oh, you sound, you don't sound like a black person. Like, what are you talking about? That's so fucking offensive. And yet plenty of people mean that that you that you're using language in a way that makes you sound like a white person as if that's the standard to reach which is inherently false well and that's that's a that's a subliminal neurolinguistic programming like racist level thing by itself of like when you go to your job make sure you sound white because that's what's going to get you the job period or you the mean, name whatever that, right what, have a white or name or the name what what whatever whatever that whatever that means but we know that we have this 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 dynamic struggle because then that person that is of color if they're in north Lawndale, west side of chicago k-town and they quote unquote were sounding white then that's not going to be accepted by their community so and at the end of the day it's just proper grammar period because proper grammar transcends all <laughs> colors and barriers but we've we've segmented that by saying these are standards that media has spent billions of dollars on and said that if you're a blonde, if you're a woman, you have blue eyes, and that you are wearing Ralph Lauren, you're wearing, you know, not like a, you know, that these things have you here. You know, that if you are this person over here with, you know, synthetic hair, fake nails, you know, um, Nike jumpsuit, FUBU jumpsuit, and <laughs> wearing gym shoes every time that you're here. You know, so it's, but how do we, when people address, you know, it's obviously it's not culturally appropriate to just flat out say a derogative statement. You mean, fuck them in words, fuck them, whatever. It's like, those things obviously are not acceptable, but we have like these, these microaggressions that go so fast 
And some people truly, you know, my friend meant nothing when he was like those sort of in his, because he didn't say it in a completely derogative way, but because of the nature of our world, you never know who you're talking to, like that might be sensitive to that language. And that's, that language is dangerous just because you don't know who might take offense to it, right? If you ask that person, they might say, I meant nothing by that at all, because that's different than just flat out saying the N word. <laughs> But it's, it's created this complexity of how we communicate to people that are different from us. Because just take race out of the equation. We as children, most people aren't growing up in communities where you're encouraged and taught how to socialize. With, oh, there's someone different from me. I want to meet them. We're not taught that. We're taught to stay in these homogenous communities most of the time. So what we would consider the minority, quote unquote, is because there's less of them than us because then you you have to really break down like what does the term minority really mean does it mean like there's less than us than them does minority mean you know you're rich and i'm poor does minority mean that i have welfare and babies and you live in Winneka? does minority mean what is that term because you just take that term by itself well, yeah let's pause and just say the use of words i keep hearing you use these use of words and how easily we want to brush off like it doesn't matter but it does matter because the words we're choosing carry historical weight, right? And so you're bringing in a level of complexity. Minority automatically assumes that it's a lesser group of people, I mean, minor, it's lesser than the major. And that use of words and the way of that word play automatically creates a psychology inside of all of us that as if white people are the majority and every other body of culture is the minority, but it's simply not true. It's a form of like living everyday historical falsity in the use of our language. So it is important. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and when you said that, that, that falsity in the language, it's, it's also to recognize that there's power in those words of keeping a person Below. One, repress below. And then two, it's just antiquated. It's just, it's, in lamest terms, it's, 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 a, it's actually showing your $200,000 education <laughs> taught you everything but cultural awareness, meaning just on a basic level. I was sitting at a table, a dinner a few weeks ago, and um, I was left alone with this one woman. We're talking, you know, my wife was there and another woman was there. It was all four of us at the table and they left. And then I had a, an opportunity to talk to this one woman one-on-one. Clearly she's la- Latina characteristics. But as I kept talking to her, she's like, no, I'm black. My father's Nigerian. <laughs> I mean, my, my mother's Latina. You mean outwardly, wow. outwardly Mexican girl. Internally, genetics, Nigerian <laughs> and, yeah. and, and Latino. And if you know anything about the Nigerian culture listeners, I mean, Nigerians are very prideful about being Nigerian. They love by yes. I don't know any Nigerian that doesn't love being Nigerian. <laughs> you know what I mean? So shout out to all my Nigerians. You know I mean, so she identified with being Black. So the fact that here I am, Toriano Sanzoni, Italian name, Italian background, culture. This woman, Nigerian, Latino, you mean 
my friend Xandra Habrowski, when you see her, she's clearly black, but Habrowski, there's Polish in her family, you know. So it's like, especially now in this day and age, it's like we people are still antiquated in their thought process and not even understanding that you truly cannot judge a book by its cover, that that old trite phase. I mean, that's become even truer now. I mean, my son's, all him and his son, uh, him and all his friends are like United Nations. I mean, it's like one friend is Filipino and black. He's, he's Austrian, black, Italian, and white, (laughs) you know? So it's like, you can't. The amalgamations, the mixtures. and, And what I love what you're saying is unless we approach meeting each other with curiosity, as opposed mm-hmm. to these filters that we've all been conditioned to look through as if we're seeing each other through the filters of the cultural marketing programs we each you got uniquely growing up, right? I grew up Indian culture. I grew up like this and you grew up like this. If one didn't know you, Toriano, and just sees you, right? They see you as a black man, but they would never associate you to being Italian until I hear your name, maybe hear your story. There's more to you, right? And so how do we get more people to get into that state of curiosity as opposed to what I notice a lot is we are, like, it's easy to say, don't judge a book by its cover. And yet we all do because we've been socially conditioned to Mm. look and place people, right? So it's like, what's the Mm -hmm. first thing? You meet each other. It's like, oh, what do you do? What does that do? It helps to socially place you on a class ladder. What do Mm -hmm. you do? So when Mm -hmm. we start to listen to the language we're using in connecting with each other, one of the first things, if somebody hears a name or they look at someone and they look different, people are like, oh, where are you from? Well, maybe that's not the best question. Maybe there's a better question that could elicit connection versus this judgmental, oh, where are you from? Because you look at somebody and they might look different than all your white neighbors. And so you suddenly want to know their ethnicity. But what an offensive question if you're a body of culture that's mixed with five different cultures and people say, what's your ethnicity? You're like, well, I don't know. Which part of my family would you like to know about me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the complexity of her looking Lat- Latina and then really being rooted in Nigerian culture and somebody could come up to her and completely make an assumption. And now there's no place of connection because she's offended by the assumptions of her look versus mm. who are you? Like even you, mm-hmm. I know you must get this a lot because even for a black professional man, you bring your spice of life. You know, you have your nose ring and your tattoos and you dress the way you want to dress and you, you live your life in your body, but not everybody does this, right? A lot Mm -hmm. more of us are contained in social boxes of conformity for acceptability. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what a lot of this is painting is that that conformity is often a white lens of conformity. It's not taking into consideration the vast majority of people that are these rainbow mixtures of historical, amazing survival stories of our own ancestry. Like how did an Italian and a black woman get together with before you were born? And how was that socially acceptable? Like what at a time when that wasn't to produce you, you know? And then, mm-hmm. and then, so it's like, we know these kinds of, rainbow groups of us exist people that are more than just what they've been told they have to be oh you're a black kid you know you're from lawndale right 
how do you transcend that, right? You do this all the time. And I think that um, you've gotten used to just kind of brushing off whiteness because you've been around it so dang, so dang long. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I'm getting, I'm getting lost as listening to you because you're, you're hitting it. I mean, one, I just got to say for you being even aware of that, I mean, here's a simple plan. We need more of your thought process in white America because you're you're clearly aware, and that's through all the things you've been through, um, which that's a whole conversation by itself. You know, me interviewing you so people can really get you know as as deep as that you've been through, which is why, part of why we just naturally resonate with each other because, and that's really, I mean, what the world's coming down to. Um, in a nutshell, you mentioned the Indian culture. You made me think of this movie, White Tiger. If people haven't seen it, they should go get it. I mean, because it's about the Indian caste system, you know, and it goes super deep into the Indian caste system. But then this guy that beat the odds, basically going from indentured servant to like running a multi-million dollar enterprise. And then the last shot of the movie, here's a spoiler. They, he looks into the camera to the world and says, white men your days are numbered you know of like i defeated the caste system and now like global white america is next And the movie is so it's super intense because if you don't understand the indian caste system white tiger will bring you through how deep it is and how deep it is right now currently right it's, bo- it's low-key slavery but um but then after he defeated his own culture that he grew up in he looks into the camera when he made that statement it was like it was this empowering like yeah because at the end of the day even once you deal all this you still ultimately are going to deal with someone that is holding the keys to the money that's holding the keys to the power that's holding the keys to what has generation after generation and generation been set up and established for a particular group and that's primarily white men in America, you mean, or white women in America, you know, then blacks, you know, people of color, then women, and then women of color last, you know, and unfortunately in that, in that category, mm. because as we're trying to, and I hate using the word try, but as we're trying to break out of that box of like acceptance beyond who I am physically, you know, there's people that have been programmed like, no, based upon your physical appearance, you're supposed to be X, Y, and Z. And there's different levels to that level of sensitivity in which you, while we're here on this podcast, you broke up when people, quote unquote, are saying things that they didn't necessarily think were racist or or offensive, you know. And to them, it might not be, right? To them, it's, oh, I really didn't mean it that way. And that what we have to learn how to do is in those moments say, it might, it's not about intention. It's about impact. And to know that the mm-hmm. use, the use of those words in this moment is actually has a long history yes. that you might not yet have been educated on because I'm just getting educated on. And it gives us moments to be like, this is why the use of those words are, isn't good right now. And if it, and, and have more white people be able to do that in context, because I know why you and, and other black people and other bodies of culture that are my friends don't bother because when the whole system is around to bring it up to this well-meaning white person that just kind of off the cuff says something that is historically rooted and not such good stuff but they don't have a clue you just kind of brush it off because it's more it's situational and it's more effort than it's worth per se because history has taught that 
right? And yet mm -hmm. now there's this point where it's like, it's not your responsibility to do that situationally. But white folks that raise their awareness could. They could be like, mm -hmm. yo, the reason using this language isn't good is because bro over here, you know, he'll brush it off like it's no big deal, but I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Now you suddenly have white voice behind something that is so, hmm, it's paining me to hear the amount of times I hear these types of things and mm -hmm. white, how many times white people can just be like, oh, but I'm, I didn't mean anything by that. Well, then why mm -hmm. say it? Mm -hmm. If you didn't mean anything by it, why say it? Well, and, and, and with that point right there of like, you didn't mean anything by it, why say it? And then I feel like part of it too is that we operate from our subconscious, you know, more than we want to admit to. Because you know, yes. your conscious tells you, you cannot say nigger, period. You cannot say spick, you cannot say dago, you cannot say, you know, a lot, host of words that were acceptable in the 80s. You know, you can't say these things. They, so now we all globally agree in most, in probably 90% right, of the world. But it doesn't go away from your insides. It just goes away from being able to say it on the outside. Well, because then that's where that subconscious kicks in. You know what I mean? Because then it's like, you know, if you're driving downtown Chicago and then a group of, you know, black guys roll up on the side of you and your music's banging, you know, and you're sitting in your car, you just, you're about to go to a Soldier Field concert and now you're, you know, you might say, man, fuck these. Like, oh my God. That wasn't, that was me clearly subconscious coming out saying, fuck these niggas. And that was, we know that was wrong. Then there's all the situations where, you know, I might walk into a restaurant. I just drove in from Maneka, you know what I mean? And I might get uh, a, a person, a black, a black woman as my waitress. And I might be like, you know, I want like, you know, I might be thinking, in my, not even verbally, I might be thinking in my head as a white person, I want another waitress is because I don't trust her based upon, I'm not going to get the same level of service or perceived service. You know I mean that if I had someone, so it's like, it's the non-verbals and the verbals, but they're all coming from the place of the subconscious. So until mm -hmm. people really, one, we need, we need more educators such as yourself to get people to understand they have to attack. And I say attack because it, it has to be a conscious effort to retrain your subconscious and say, hey, you know what? All people are the same, regardless of the differences. All people are the same, regardless. And until you really start programming yourself, that's a whole other conversation. Because I feel that for the most part, people is not coming from a place of blatant, but it's coming from a place of it's beyond you. Because it's all this information that has that has evolved and progressed over the years of my great grandmother, who was born, who raised me. He's born in 1919, you know, in Laurel, Mississippi. I mean, Lord knows that then moved to New Orleans. So let's talk about New Orleans in 1919. Who knows what they were saying? <laughs> Who knows what she heard? You mean what her imprinting was, right? Yeah. What things that would come out of her subconscious, I mean, her conscious, like this is coming out of my mouth. I don't care. Versus what things that would come out of her mouth that were coming from the subconscious. Like I didn't even realize I said that. You mean, but it's been ingrained in me. I mean, so that's what we're talking about really is in America, specifically a hundred plus years of 
neuro-linguistic programming of things that exist in our subconscious that are going to come out to the quote-unquote best of the best person. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. I just I just thought about something like the CEO of Papa John. You know, is he running around calling people the N-word on a regular basis? No, he would not be a CEO of a billion-dollar company. Did mm-hmm. it slip out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, lost his com- he lost his company over one word. You know what I mean? Mm. Just think about that. He lost his company, a multi-billion dollar company, over one word that slipped out. When it slipped out, there was no mistake that that was a racist, derogative, you know, state, you know, comment. So when it does, what I want to say is like when it does come out, where it comes out and it's blatant, where it comes out as subliminal, or where it comes out where it's like it's in that gray area. Like it could be considered, but it's not. And I really didn't mean anything. I can't even believe that you consider that Racist. offensive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then you got that middle. And then you got the, the, the blatant. And that, I feel like that's where we're struggling, not just with, with race, but we're struggling with that even too with men and women relationships. You know what I mean? That clearly is like, don't do that. That's in that middle. Like, I thought it was, you know, cool. That was like, really? You're tripping about that? You know what I mean? So there's there's different levels with, and I think the, the, the I think I know the bottom line with people in general, whether it's race relations, you know, gender relations, sex relations, is that people you got people have to program your subconscious to just know that you never know, everyone is at different spots until you have had an extensive conversation with that person. <laughs> stay at ground zero, just stay neutral because the world is too complex now. We have access to too much information through social media. People travel more. Like I said, the woman that is Nigerian, <laughs> like I couldn't wait mm-hmm. for my wife to sit back down and said, Hey, tell her what you told me. Mm-hmm. Cause she, it's her friend. I don't even, I just met her, but she had mm-hmm. engaged with this woman more than multiple times. Like I never knew that. I just thought she was you know, Latina. Wow. Um, a couple of things I want to comment the whole subconscious piece that you're talking about. I really appreciate because what I don't think enough of us understand as human bodies, like anybody who studies the brain and, and how, how trauma is even stored, knows that so much of our operating and the way that we move through life, our belief systems, even just the perspective or perception of the world is based on our subconscious mind. And a lot of us have this notion that we think we're in charge of the things that we do, say, act, do, you know, believe. But science really shows otherwise. It shows that, like you said, it's from the subconscious mind. And so one can tell what is happening in your subconscious when you're under pressure and you're under Mm. a lot of fear. So what happens Mm. to you under pressure and fear in states of fear. So what you were bringing up is the people in the car, right? They're coming down from Winneka or whatever, going to Soldier Field and they have their unconscious perceptions, but then they have their, you know, their PC way of maneuvering the world. And they see a group of black people in a car, loud music, whatever. And out of their mouth, it can be a state of pressure and fear that produces something out of you that your conscious self is like, oh my God, did I just say that? Not only that, but it can produce a state of fear of attack, right? Mm-hmm. So we could we could be afraid of... So like we could have this unconscious fear Mm. of being attacked and then it produces a result. And so the subconscious Mm. is running our quote race relations 
And this is a really important thing that we all have to register, but especially white folks, because white people have had the privilege to mm. not have to deal with their race. Because yes. we were the one that everybody's trying to, that we've been the, the, the group that is the standard. We act like it doesn't exist. And so language oh. to say we're all one or we're all the same is actually very murky language because while on a soul level that can be true, on an everyday class and social cultural exchange level, historical, the way cities have been built, it's not true at all. And so a part of how we're offensive is we can bring that language, right? And not realize that by saying, oh, I didn't mean that. It's not doing the self-examination that's needed to be like, huh, where did I get my ideas of black people? What was the first time that I've ever interacted with a black person? Who did I hear this from? Who did I learn mm, this from? Mm. Because if your parents never dealt with it and your parents were in the fifties and then their parents never dealt with it and all they got was the marketing schemata of the American race card, then you realize very fast that the stuff coming out of your subconscious is actually not based in things you've chosen. They're just things you got exposed to when you were mm. young or mm. didn't get exposed to, right? Mm. So if you got exposed to the world, you have a worldview. If you got exposed to your neighborhood, that's all you get, right? And you, 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 you said three times the word fear and that's and that's the thing i don't think people um i have a seminar called the acronyms fire and it's um acronym for fear it ruins everything so i i ask people what's their fire and what and, and most people oh you i had shivers when you said that because a lot of people are just afraid of just communications period you know i dropped my son off at college um on thursday on monday and i'm like i'm just pumped up i'm a parent nerd he's like dad go home i'm like in the classroom with him he's like well you leave leave I'm like it's like i'm thinking back in kindergarten but so i'm in there I'm like no let's go in let's sit down like hey go talk to the professor and he's like she, but even the professor was kind of like hi what do you want like this is like all gonna be on your computer only we don't talk and i was like he comes back he's like i did it i'm like so what's up like like should i go over there now he's like no like i'm just but this is you know professors right here he's the only one in class and that i looked outside in the hall there's everyone standing there no one's talking so just on a human level you know there's that fear you know what i mean right that we don't want to just go meet people they even look, I mean, forget even people that are different from us. I'm just talking about like people meeting, period, right? There is that because the world has changed due to social media. You know, the average person spends four and a half hours per day just on Facebook. I mean, there's that. I mean, there was COVID. And there was like all the, we were already moving towards this, 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 what well, we're approaching this, this web three world that's going to exist in the metaverse of more zooms on steroids right so we're already moving towards that so if you weren't a communication person already it's the gap is only wide but now you take that and compound it but you as you said that fear now of like all right let's just say we did get over all that i'm a social butterfly now i got this new thing like wow i'm quote unquote the only black guy but then there's all white women over there or there's all you know native american women over there there's all 
Asian men over there, or there's all white men over there, or whoever, whatever the majority group is, that we just have that internal fear because then, as you as you said, it comes out in fear and it starts coming. That subconscious kicks in for protection purposes. Like it's not me, it's them because my mom said. <laughs> and you have to listen to that. Well, what did, you mean, whose voice is that, right? What am I hearing? Because it's not your own because these right. subconscious imprints got imprinted before we're, you know, seven. So you start thinking about, okay, what were the environment I come from, right? Like your, your ability to be comfortable in Italian American communities comes from your earliest exposure and environment to the normalcy of that. But another yes. black person would not feel safe or comfortable in the c- culture of Italian people. And this is no. a really important thing because how, what we get exposed can, to. Can I pause you for one second? Yes. yes. So, because when you said that, and I, and I told someone this the other day, I said, I know white, I mean, I know some black women that are completely uncomfortable with white men. They will not be in a place one on one with them. And I, I didn't even know that was a thing. And I've heard more than one black woman say, no, absolutely not. I was like, wow, that's like, that was blowing my mind. You mean, but then they were like, no, they're like, I think I'm, something's going to happen to me. But they look on the news, you know, and a lot of this happened. This was after the case in here in Chicago where a black woman's house was raided. It was the wrong house. And they had her, you know, stripped. Actually, and coincidentally, um, I would love to help you get that. Interview. That's, that was, that's my best friend's sister that that happened to and she's there she was like that was a point of reference for a while in our circle of like this is why i don't trust white men this woman is screaming she's naked they wouldn't even let her put her clothes on and there's all white men there wasn't even one there's not no black there's not one brown person in this room it's all white men and this black woman saying you're in the wrong house you know so if a little girl is seeing that <laughs> of color any woman period but person of color much less the historical memory of it the historical memory of such a thing that we can't even grasp because our consciousness can't can't hold the history of that and and and, and thank you for mentioning that i mentioned the subconscious because that's the thing that i'm teaching in my in my seminars but then also too it's a thing that we have to address it's not acceptable to say okay that's the past i know it's embedded in my subconscious so that's why i act this way but it's going to take more educators like yourself and for me to say like, hey, you know what? We have this thing that's in us. You know what I mean? Until we truly address it, you know what I mean? And address, you have to address this. Because at this point in time, I want to say 90% of the world has control of their mouth and knowing what things that you should, that clearly is going to offend someone. We know that. This is in the 60s and 70s where you can just, or even the 80s where you just flat out Boom, there it is. You know, you're walking down the street and someone's like, mm, mm, you're like, you know. But we also see that they may be carrying that ideology inside, even if they're not, quote, saying it out loud. Right, right, right. But I'm saying at least we, we Dr. King can look down and say that we have made some progress because I'm not going to just walk out in the street and just get called an N-word. Like for the most part in, in around the world, no matter where you go, we all agree that outward, you know, racism, sex, anything is not accepted. But now we have, this, but Dr. King wasn't dealing with microaggressions. He'd be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> What's microaggression? I mean, what, what are you all talking about? Like now we're dealing with the subconscious. We finally got him to stop being just straight up direct. Yeah, but because it was always in the subconscious, but that was, they weren't talking about that on the cerebral level back in the 80s. And like, they didn't even know it was a thing. You I mean, now that we're where 
that is a thing. It's these new civil rights, or what I like to even call like ambassadors of humanity. You mean not even civil? Because even just yes. that, just, let's just back. I was thinking about this other day. Just even the fact that I'm saying civil, be civil. Like I train dogs for a living. There's, you told me you want a civil dog. That's just like, I'm not going to kill you. Just be civil. Just be cool. I'm like, I'm begging just to be civil. You mean not even equal? Just be civil. That's mm-hmm. that. So you just you just take that by itself. Because women were fighting for equal rights, but at least they're not fighting for civil rights. Because civil rights, I'm just asking you to be nice. Don't be mean. You mean so we have to get rid of the term the civil. Language. And Malcolm X and Martha King and a lot of these leaders of of the Black Panther Party at that time were bringing it from the civil level to the humanitarian level um, and and talking about it as a a human rights issue. This started happening way long in the 50s and 60s, I want to say, and brought it to the UN. So that language, what you just said, is really important, I think. Well, because the language is is so is so is so is so dangerous, Guru. Because it's like, man, just think. I just that just blew civil my mind when saying that. Think it's about how fucked up that is. Civil. That's asking me to you just be nice to me. I'm begging yep. you just to be nice. I'm not even asking for equal. I'm just well, saying be nice. Yeah, we're in the sign. I am a man. Like I'm just asking for be be nice to me, right? It's like, oh my god. But 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 just think about that right by itself. They were fighting for civil, not equal. Like let's get civil, then we'll ask for equal. And you then humanitarian, mean? right? Exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. dude. So it's like until we get to the point of like, let's change it. What do we call it now? Then this is what we like to rename stuff. You know, human. Ambassadors of humanity. Well, what does that mean? That's just like, let's just be cool with humans. You're a human, I'm a human. It don't matter. And I cannot, we have, and it's really what we have to preach is that to what, you know, what's, how do we fix this of getting people to understand that I cannot assume anything. If you, I just got told that a person that clearly is Latina, she might be considered white before considered black, but she considered herself black because her father's Nigerian. And if you under, and here it is again. I understand the Nigerian culture. I have tons of Nigerian friends. They're very particular about certain things, right? I have a lot of friends from Senegal. They're very particular. <laughs> so it's like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be shocked if you told me that. Hey, I'm Ugandan. Bet I got questions for you. You mean that's where we have to stop being? I'm not shocked. Like I wasn't shocked. I was. I. I just wanted I, my joy at that moment in time. At that table. I couldn't wait for those people to come back. I'm like, hey, I know something that you all don't know. And this, you're a homegirl. You all hang out with her, and you never ask her enough about her background. You mean so? That's where the, the thing that we got to take away is, you know, my neighbor across the street, his son. All right, he has a few felonies. He's done some bad things, but you can't assume he's a bad father because he's a black. bad human, right? Or a bad human because his children are brilliant. Like I would consider one of his sons one of my coaches because that's why I learned everything about NFTs and metaverse from him. He's twenty-two, but you might look at his dad and be like, anything you produce has to end up in jail or in Cook County, and it's not. They're all in college. They 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 have aspirations. And I'm praying for them that they can be in the NFL and they're going to, they're highly into tech. They are app developers. I mean, but they're straight up from the hood. So we have to get rid of, 
if you're from the hood, you're ignorant and dumb and stupid, and you're gonna end up in Cook County. Or if you're from Winneka, you don't do drugs, and you're you're gonna end up, you know, in this beautiful home in the suburbs. You know, like those those misconceptions. Until we really start getting people, and I think it's real simple. I'm gonna I'm taking that back. I'm gonna say not think. I'm gonna say I know it's real simple. It's just a letter. A, it's just a word that starts with a T. Travel. Period. Because when I was in Kenya and this guy looked over at me and said, where are you from? And he wasn't talking about <laughs> local. He's talking about what country you from. And you could feel that connotation of like American was not going to be an answer that was going to make this be a cool experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because you could feel that like, I don't care if you're black, yellow, pink, man, woman. I don't like Americans. You know what I mean? And I think most Americans have never met someone that truly don't like an American. And when you meet someone that truly don't like an American, you and me, my white woman friend, we're bonded. <laughs> we right are now, Americans. You are you and me. <laughs> no, because right now we're like, dude, they're not. This could go wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about like kind of wrong. I'm talking about like bad. You mean like where I quickly learned how to speak Swahili or German or Dutch? I tell people you will learn a language fast if your life is dependent upon it. If you, I'm not saying like, oh, there's all these crazy places in the world where your life is dependent upon it. Sometimes it could just be you're in a situation where these people are talking about you. It's clearly talking about you, but it's another language. So you need to learn a language. But that, that said, though, is that we cannot even assume even that, that you might know that language that I'm speaking. You might know that culture that I'm speaking. You know, the world is just too vast to assume anything now. And I feel like that's the biggest, you know, I don't think that, I truly don't believe at this stage in the game that humans just out there want to be racist and I hate, you know, black folks or I hate Mexicans. I just truly believe at this point, it truly is just an education and travel problem. Perspective. What I hear you saying is yeah. that it, it, the where assumptions come from is having limited perspective. So if all you've ever been exposed to is the cultural code that you've been offered, then it mm. means that your like that. experience of the world is is a bunch of assumptions of what other people are like, as opposed to learning about them. Go see for yourself. Have an experience of of feeling. Wow, you're the American in the room, and how other people perceive who we are. Um, just just get exposed. Get your bubbles popped. And the best way to get that bubble popped is to travel, so that you realize real quick that the world doesn't revolve around the United States of America. And when you just say, I, I want to use this that phrase, cultural code. That that's something because when you when they finally see that, you mean and you go like when I was in Jamaica, I don't I'm gonna be cheeky right now. I don't know if most things can survive in Jamaica that aren't Jamaican. You mean because it can go wrong pretty I mean if you I'm not talking about tourist Jamaica, I'm talking about in like Jamaica. <laughs> I mean with the people. You mean where they're watching everything because they've been exposed to so much. This this life can be super hard there. You know what I mean? So I feel like you go to like some of the areas in Jamaica, I don't care what race you are, you'll have a different perspective, you know, in life and be like, you know what? I love people, period. Because I just realized that this person over here that clearly that's his home and it's literally like four pieces of 10 together. You know what I mean? And he just offered me food. 
I mean, he's that color of skin just made just blew my mind. Like I love people now because I thought I was gonna die and I didn't, you know, or someone going to the west side of Chicago and then realize that that person did help you jump your battery. They wasn't trying to carjack you. You I mean and, 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 but you have to put yourself in those situations of wanting to intentionally feel uncomfortable. And that will is is the quickest way to expedite your subconscious you mean to just jump start it and just get right there by putting your i mean i take race out of the situation we were just about this last night just when i was teaching in the prison system everyone's in there this was a maximum security prison i mean every time i mean one and initially i was upset with myself for even agreeing to it because there's my bias i don't want to like they're as far i'm like they're lepers i don't know i'm this was a bad idea because I'm, I'm, I have a predisposition of what you're not even supposed to use the word. Like. Well, here, here's here's language. You're not supposed to say prisoner. You mean I didn't know that was a thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. The residents. That doesn't seem strong enough to call them a resident. You know what I mean? But they refer to them as residents. Wow. Resident. Residents didn't seem strong enough for me to like, like in my mind, stay safe. <laughs> you know I mean, prisoner in my mind kept me safe you mean because i didn't want to recognize that they were humans just like me and they made an era they got them in there you mean and now i'm that person they're good guys they're humans why are you saying it like you're shocked why are you saying it like hey this guy over here that i met man he got pulled over over some weed and a gun and there's some weird law that you can't have the two in this room together but he has his master's degree he has a non-profit <laughs> He just did something that had him in there. And I'm sitting here talking to him like, dude, you're freaking me out because I could have done that. You know what I mean? So I take it back. You're a resident. You mean, Mm -hmm. but we got to realize that just because you're in there doesn't make you non-human. And that's what we easily just get caught up in like, nope, if you're in there, you're fucked up. You're bad. You're evil. You're mean. That's not true. I mean, the same way with everything. It's so easy to get caught up in just pointing whoever that particular group is where there's the people that are behind that wall because of something they did but is that person is an Indian but is the person here in North Lawndale that's the part that until we start wanting to get out of our own assumptive world our own homogenous little bubble and say hey I know I've never been over here before but today I'm going Boop. I'm in Canaryville Boop. I'm over here in Chinatown. Boop. I'm in North Lawndale. You I mean like Inglewood gets such a bad rep? You I mean like I don't go to Inglewood? I mean it's like they make it seem like it's Planet of the Apes. You know I mean someone like, dude, I had more problems in Jefferson Park. <laughs> True story. That's a whole well nother. I mean, that's a whole well nother. But in, 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 I just gotta say this. Actually, there's less issue over there because no one's over there because everyone's saying don't go. You mean, and you always, everyone's assuming that it can go wrong. So you got your guards up. You mean, where. And your assumptions up. Yeah. I've taught class in maximum security prisons and I've had almost more issues sometimes at clients' houses. I mean, like, how am I having this issue with you in your home in the suburbs? And I've had complete peace in a maximum security prison. You mean, Mm -hmm. because at a certain point, you start saying, like, hey, you know what? We're all equal, but if not, if you've not been outside of your beautiful suburban home and have trained yourself by to be around everyone, 
And that's where we're going to just continue to have that problem. And that's where these podcasts and the conversations are so important because we have to get people aware that this can be fixed because really it's an easy fix. Well, and it starts in you, right? It starts in you. It starts with you exposing yourself and breaking your own uh, preconceived notions of culture, of class, of social, of of cultural identity. Um, And and you just bring up so many great points, Toriano, that I I really want to encapsulate here in that the ways in which fear in combination with assumptions can keep us in homogenous spaces and not um, get curious that really allows us to kind of break out and realize, wow, you know, we've all been taught things that keep us judging certain other groups of people. And so you brought it from just a conversation in America of race and, and white versus black to a much larger global conversation of imperialism and classism and mm, all the ways. Imperialism, yes. That's the language I've been Ooh. using more and more because the more I dig into this, and I actually yes. look at the leaders that were that were talking about it, black liberation in the '60s. They moved this conversation from a U.S. centric place to a UN conversation because the world was having an imperialism conversation, and mm-hmm. all of the um, all of the the Latin countries were bound together. In, and so, black humanitarians started changing the conversation from civil rights to human rights and they started using the language of imperialism and how the global agenda of imperialism was led by the United States. So mm. we're being busied into the race conversation when really there's a much larger global agenda of imperialism. And I, what I liked about how everything you said really points to that. You're, you're, you're not trying to move away from black and white. What you're saying is there's a much bigger thing that plays out in how other countries perceive us because of the historical imperialism that we've brought mm, to countries around the world. Historical imperialism. And as that, the United States, we do this to other countries. And so when you travel and you realize, oh, people don't like Americans, whether you're a black American, an Asian American, a white American, you all just one big group of Americans. And you think that everything revolves around you and like, whoa. And, and without without going into your, your background, which is so amazing and colorful. I mean, I know, I mean, that's another subject, but I mean, that's why you and I can talk. I mean, and that's. I feel like that's a whole nother podcast because that's super important because you're an international global human being. I'm an international global human being and essentially any more of us. <laughs> and there are lots like, of us, but more there, of there, us need to be there. using the better conversation so that we don't avoid conversations of race, but rather we help a dr- relocate it to a proper conversation. Well, and, and, and here it is too. And it's like, and I'm glad you said that, that you echoed by saying like, there's tons of us out there, but then, but then it's not to live our lifestyle. And I told someone the other day, my awareness, it's not cheap being Toriano. I mean, because I'm like next year, I'm going to do at least 20 countries for sure. Like I'm supposed to be in Singapore in three weeks. I mean, so, well, just I'm leaving for California in a few hours. So I'll be in Temecula, California. I'll be in Miami. I'll be in New York and then Singapore. That's this month. You mean, but Temecula, California, I mean, that's, that's down. That's desert country. I mean, I'm dealing with people with a whole bunch of money. That their hardest thing every day is like, which vineyard are we going to? Like for real. Like I'm, I'm being cheeky, but that's I'm about to go hang out with some people that have enough money to pay me to go out there and hang out with their, their dogs and their horses. You know, 
that's a whole nother world by itself versus then I got to go to Miami, which that's a whole nother world by itself. And then Brooklyn with my, my hardcore Jewish community, that's a whole nother world by itself. And then Singapore. So by the time I'm October 1st, just those trips alone, I'm just like, I've had to be this four different people to be in four different places. But then there's none of us that do this, but then even I guess why I'm truly appreciative of you taking the time to do this, because you don't have to do this. You mean, but you're doing it with true intent because you're going someplace with it because you are an ambassador to humanity because you know that this podcast, this transcripts, everything you're going to do with this information, this is, this is, this is information. This is technology that can, they're going to help get a person where we need to go. But sometimes people like you and I, we're so busy doing us you mean, and we sometimes we don't even come in contact with the people that we're saying they need to change because we're we're just the opposite. Now we're just in our own little bubble. <laughs> like we only we make it a thing of like, you're not good for my mental well-being. So I only hang out with people that are like me that I understand know. all this. You know what I mean? Where I'm just like, I know for a fact the thing that keeps me amazing, I can brag on this because at the end of the day, I'm in the head. <laughs> So I can go to Miami, Singapore, Brooklyn. So by, it doesn't matter because I always come back to these my my people that are just like they haven't been downtown Chicago. Let me phrase that. They I need you to come in. back. I need you to land us back in Lawndale because I love where you went with this in the sense that you gave us a real global perspective of what it means to get out of this kind of binary conversation on race and realize this is a much larger global perspective. But I also want you to bring us to a little bit mundane because you live in Lawndale, you got a family home there. Like, give us a back to what does it mean to to re come back to your people and to remind yourself of where you're from, you know? Well, I mean, because at, at the end of the day, I mean, my neighbor got shot in front of my house, you know, I mean, three weeks ago. You mean like over, over game tour four? Like, there's that right there. And it took the police an hour to get there. Like, literally, there's guys like in, two men are dead in front of my house you mean and that's that's a lot of different layers of education classism you know racism to get to the point where humans are attacking humans like that and then the perspective of that of there was literally 30 police officers here and one black in a in a all black community and then walking from door to door asking people questions and like they're afraid of you all without the murder. Now they're mm. traumatized and, and you asking questions like no one's talking to you. In fact, they're getting even more freaked out with you knocking on their door. Yeah. You mean, cause you don't even understand how any of this works on a cultural level. You mean, so we will have another George Floyd until people like you and me take this information and go to the local police station and go to the CAPS meetings and run for offices and things of that nature and say, hey, you know what? we have to change how we educate people to be culturally aware of someone because that young, that young, bringing it back to North Lawndale, that young, that young white male cop that took that, this cop might've been maybe 25 years old, you know, and here I am sitting in my car in front of my house at 48. And he's like, um, license and registration. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me back up. Step out of the car, which I'm just laughing. I'm like, step out of the car. Okay. Step out of the car. What's your, you know, license? No, I'm not giving you a license. Now I'm just fucking with them, which you're not supposed to do. Don't do that. 
that's illegal to do because you don't own your license. The state owns your license. But I'm just annoyed the fact that he even asked me to get out of my car. But I'm humoring that. I just want to see where this goes. I want to experience that. But I'm saying, bringing it back local, the fact that I even have the wherewithal to play with death like that because black men have been killed for less. <laughs> I mean, here I am. Well, what's your name? Tayano Sanzoni. Damn it. Why can't you just say Tyrone Lewis? I definitely, so he's at his computer and like, he's looking for me to help him. I'm like, why do I help you spell it in my mind? And so he's like, you know what? This is not going, you're good. Thanks. Whatever. Leave me, you should never take me out the car because he was not expecting me to go there. With, that's, but that's a whole nother level. Look, don't do these things if this happens to you. <laughs> that's me just having a bad day. But someone out there. It's also not- you familiar with the, the levels of leadership in your own community, right? Because you were a, uh, um, an alderman for a while. You have a family historical home there. So like you've grown up there. You've also established yourself as a father there. There's layers to your comfort of doing this in your community. Absolutely. Hundred percent, and that's and that's where until we have everyone on the level of like being able to be comfortable with talking to whoever you know, whether it's that white male cop, I could see the fear in his eyes. That took advantage of it. You mean, but someone else, you might have a black male and a white male. They're both afraid. <laughs> now someone might get hurt. You know. Until we get to the point where we're comfortable with just regular conversations, but it's a conversation where I'm clearly the authority because I'm the police officer and you did something, you ran a red light. You mean, or I'm at the hospital and I need to help you, or I'm at the bank. Until we get to that point where we understand true cultural differences because there's some- And training communication, like you brought up training cultural awareness and intelligence, cultural intelligence in- in exchanges, when there are people in authority, there, there needs to be a cultural sensitivity and awareness of how you communicate in different cultural communities. Right. Well, because there, there's nothing because there's nothing natural about that. There's nothing natural with understanding, you know, this is how I'm going to deal with a white police officer. You mean there's nothing natural about saying, hey, this is how I'm going to deal with this um, person that might be of Asian descent, and he's my doctor. You might not, you know, mean, and vice versa. You mean, brother, in, in our day to day worlds, we don't have enough, we need more cultural training over everything, yes. over everything. I mean, because I, when I, when in my seminars, I tell people, likeability first, skill second. You I mean, if no one likes you, no one's gonna wanna work with you. Don't care how badass you are at physics, don't care how badass you are at coding or whatever. If no one likes you, it doesn't matter what color you are. No one wants to work with you. You know what I mean? But how do we gain likability? Someone is like, hey, and that's where I think we're going back to originally the, what we talked about. Good people saying things that they didn't think was offensive. Because some people truly, they know so many people. It's like, I love it. Well, Mike's different from, but Mike's different because Mike travels so much or Susie travels so much. So I didn't, I never, and that's, and that's where, we have to like kind of like smack down those thoughts and paradigms and give new ones of just like you too can be that way. 
but <laughs> you too. <laughs> you do, right. That but sounds like a commercial for you. You too. I want right. to. I want to bring this up on the other end because I've been in black communities where black people will say that to me. Oh, you're not really white, and I always found that so interesting because I knew what they were meaning. I wasn't pretending to be black, but they were basically saying I didn't. I wasn't threatening in the same way. I wasn't culturally mm. assumptive in the same way. I had more worldview on things that wasn't kind of in this small box of whiteness. But it always was strange to hear because essentially what you're pointing out, like if you're in a group of white people and they say to you, oh, but Toriano ain't really black. Okay. Just like that. Right? Oh, but he ain't really black. Okay. That might just be funny because you're hanging out with who you're hanging out with. But if you right. really think about the weight of that, what essentially is being said, if I'm in a group of black people and they say, well, you ain't really white. Essentially what's being said is there's a level of safety and equality that has been reached, even though it is true that your skin is black or my skin is white. And what that means is that there is a place that we can grow to in terms of cultural awareness that says, wow, being inhabiting a white body doesn't need to bring with it all the historical weight of violence and hatred and separation and assumptions mm. that Black and other bodies of culture have historically always gotten from communities of white people, more often than, say, the abolitionist white person. Very rarely in history have we come across that, even though I'm sure there's more stories than we've ever been told. Same thing with other cultures, right? Whether it's an African culture, Senegalese, Kenyan, I can go into that culture and have an experience, but it by no makes me a part of that culture. It doesn't make me like them, but I can sure love and appreciate and be a part of it and learn, right? Um, so anyways, I just really appreciate that you went there because I know you have incidents like that where people are like, yeah, he ain't really black. And yeah. It, it, and two things just went to my mind when you said that. <laughs> One, it's your 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 black dialect is perfect. You I mean so which also too that gives us access. For example, I know enough Spanish to survive, and my accent, if I'm if I'm in that community, is on point. You mean so where where I'm going with that is that a lot of times when people say like like Gurushan, you know fits into this community because it's, man, it's so interesting how fast we get caught up on the physical. You mean, we get caught up on it so fast that some people, their subconscious will not even let them get past that. You mean, and some people well, like- Yeah, and the subconscious didn't come up with it, right? It got, it was early training. So your earliest mm -hmm. cultural training right. impacted your subconscious thinking. And you might not even be aware of the link between the two because how many of you remember before you were four? I don't. I don't remember four, you know. Right. So anyway, keep going. No, so I mean, but 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 then it's like, how do we all get to that point, like where you're at? And I'm just curious: have you had a group of people where you not feel comfortable with because that you were the minority for whatever reason? Well, so a part of the birth of this podcast, and we're going to have to, you're going to go ahead and interview me. And, and I don't mind this conversation where I'm, um, where I tell you how I got here, but essentially it came out of realizing white exceptionalism was a part of my worldview. Mm. Um, and I want to break this down and you can listen to my story and be able to hear more of this, but essentially it was just this, that I was a cultural other. 
So even though I am in a inhabit a white body, my parents changed into an Indian culture in the sixties, and I was born into this Indian culture. But it's an American version of Indian culture. So what it did for me is it gave me a global worldview, and I grew up outside of mainstream America. And for most of my life, I thought that was great. But what I want to say about it, Toriano, is that it was about a year ago that I realized that my worldview basically prevented me from identifying as a white person because that mm. hasn't been safe. <laughs> wow. That white people were also, wow. I was the wow. cultural other, right? Ooh, and as much as that that's... might be true, I'm sorry. I'll wow. <laughs> no, I mean, that, I mean, that one, we got us back up for a second because that, I'm still stuck on deceptionism. Well, it, that's what I realized. I lived, my worldview was white exceptional. So it was basically when white people have an exceptional story like mine, it, my history is white, my ethnicity, my dad's side is Swedish, my mom's side is Jewish. But because I didn't grow up learning about my family, they joined an Indian culture. They were the conscious white people of the 60s. It gave me an exceptional white story, which means that I didn't have to lend my voice to the violence of whiteness. Meaning I didn't go circle up with other white folks. I've circled up with other cultural folks, <laughs> other people that saw worldview, other eclectic, black, brown, cultural, indigenous people that also identified as cultural others. But why white people can't hide here? I got to ask you this question because this is, so, I mean, clearly you are a white woman. What... And I'm sure, I mean, how do you then, because you're in your, you, this is your show, this is what you do. I mean, how do you then respond when you are in an all white group and you clearly hear something like, wow, I can't believe you said that. Because I think that's so, part of it. Let me, that's I, I, a part I, of this I, work. That's exactly yeah. why I'm doing this podcast is because a year ago I was on a podcast with my current 3HO culture podcast where I expose stories of the upbringing, the Kundalini yoga culture I come from. And on this podcast, this woman I was interviewing was spewing racist rhetoric. And it was like making me want to throw up in my mouth, but mm. I didn't have the language to really name it. I just kept saying something like, all I hear is whiteness. All I hear is whiteness, but I didn't have much other language. And so after that episode, I had a real identity breakthrough you know it's i started kind of cracking open this world exceptional this white exceptionalism that has prevented me from being a proper ally um meaning if i don't study the language properly where i can name all the ways that that the myth of white supremacy is infused into everyday life then I get to just hide out in cultural other spaces and be like, oh, you just don't travel enough, you know, but that's letting me bypass the reality that I inhabit a white body. And because of the cultural experiences I come from, it actually lends a better voice to be able to now look into white spaces and be like, well, the reasons I don't feel safe in these spaces are, and I can start naming it, even though now I look like a normal white person, my sense of inner image isn't that because I grew up in an Indian culture, which means we dress different. My name is different. So when you have this cultural identity, it's different than say your racial identity. And I know you can appreciate that. And the more world travel you have, the more complex this becomes. But it doesn't take away from the fact that I am embodied in a white 
body. My family ancestry and ethnicity is Jewish and Swedish. And so I'm only now starting to put my attention into say spiritual white spaces or other white spaces and be able to name out loud, oh, this isn't okay, you know? And so this, this broadcast is a part of moving that conversation into public discourse so mm. that I get A, more practice with it, but also B, it made me realize I have a lot of black, uh, indigenous, Hispanic, uh, people of all cultures around the world. And a lot of these things are known within my group of friends of culture. But as soon as I start looking into white spaces of mine, I realize, wow, a lot of very basic things are not known. And this is the group of people I call well-meaning because I feel like these are groups of us that don't want to be offensive, but don't even know that a lot of the things we're saying and doing, even though we mean well, are actually rooted in historical violence. And I just want to be a part of naming that so that we can get better. Mm. I'm speechless. Yeah. I mean, that, that's in a nutshell, because I mean, just, I mean, listening to you talk, I mean, the, the, the only way we can be led out of this at this point in time is that wait, we're going to need a white leader to, to lead, to address. I mean, you're it. I mean, because it's, because it's, it, it falls on deaf ears and the, the, the trauma is too intense to be unpacked, especially what just happened with George Floyd. You mean like no one's going to have, most people aren't going to have a real conversation about race now because they weren't even having it before. And, 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 it's, and it's not even, you just grew up, I mean, you're an anomaly. I mean, I just thought about that when you just mentioned your name alone, you know, that bringing a person through, I'm Swedish, Jewish, grew up in this Indian community. And even if that, even if that wasn't true, but your name isn't Cheryl. <laughs> your name isn't Lisa. <laughs> I mean, you have this huge, powerful name. So by itself, you're like me. We have to explain our name most of the time unless we don't feel like it. You mean, you're like, you know, it's like, <laughs> is that your real name? Is that your stage name? Is that like, I'm like, <laughs> nope. Been here before I got here. That's what they did. <laughs> I mean, wish it was Tyrone Scott, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, but I mean, that, but that, but those things right there by, by itself is a, is a lot. I mean, just the name by itself that you, I, I'm just, I'm being hypnotized listening to you talk. So I'm like, wow, there's the secret sauce right there. Just use your name as a seminar and what comes with that and the differences. Cause you have to navigate both worlds because, and, it, and actually that's some crazy subliminal programming by itself, because I mean, for the listening audience, when you meet her, you're just like, you're just busy. I mean, 97% of communication is nonverbal. So when they see you, you're like, oh my God, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful, you're amazing. But then when I tell you my name, you already know this is going to be this whole conversation. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go somewhere. You mean, is, and then it depends on who is it, who you're talking to. You mean, right? If you're talking to a white person, it's going this way. You talk exactly. to a black, a black, a black male, it's going this way. <laughs> You talk to a black and, woman, it's going this way. <laughs> you mean you talk to and if you talk to someone from another country, it goes an entirely different place. And so this is the global conversation as we realize, wow, even within Americans, the entrenched worldview is is stuck in the muck, right? It's got to get to a larger worldview. And I'll say I think the future 
of how we get out of this is by white people creating community among other white people and doing this together because no one white leader can do this, but mm -hmm. white communities have to come together to dismantle whiteness and to realize we can be in white inhabited bodies without it being rooted in historical hatred and violence. But we got to unpack what's there before we can create new worlds. And Black people and Indigenous people have been talking about this for decades, but we got to start in our own community so that then we can join that conversation, that revolution in a proper way, not as individuals, not as white individuals, but as white community, as culture of community that comes together to create something new in our own white bodies, not by depending and on our brown friends no, with each other. And, 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 you, and, I, and I know that there's more out there like you, because you just made me think of a woman I met in Austin, Texas, two years ago, and she had her seminar was my privilege, my power. And she she addressed it. She's like, no, I am very aware I have white privilege. And she was going through it's like, hey, it is what it is. I mean, but I'm aware that I have these powers. And in fact, I'm I'm being up here. This is the first step. I mean, uh, and I thought, and I, I feel like you need people like that. That's like saying, like, "Hey, it is what it is." You mean let's let's start there. Accept start unpacking it. Come on, let's in. start unpacking <laughs> it. Like, there's certain things that I can do that you can't do. Like billions of dollars of marketing and advertising, billions and dollars of just like cultural programming have made that possible, and that's not going to be undone undone overnight. It's impossible. Because it has been created so that it's not going to be undone overnight. However, we can start creating those 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 technologies where and planting those seeds in people's minds where they're like, "Dude, that doesn't compute with what I was programmed to think." You know what I mean? And that's like that's where those you know like we say those breakthroughs and those awakenings happen, or just like. Wow, this is so freaking cool. Like, I'm cool with Guru Jean. I'm cool with Toriano Sanzoni. I'm cool with, you know, Jason Nazarov, my Jewish posse. I'm cool with this for a new star. But I'm like, man, life is so amazing because I get to be exposed to all these different people that are completely different from me. And they love me because I bring something to the table that they don't have. And I love them because they bring something to the table that I don't have. And until we really get to that point, you know, we are going to be on the verge, and I hate to say it, but we need to say it because I, I lived in Minnesota for 10 years, a decade. I was saying George Floyd was coming soon to a theater near you back in 1992. And I'm not even making that up because when I went there, I was like, wow, like this is white, white. This is like. I mean, you're talking I'm about a, Gus Davis. I mean, that's white, white. I went to high school in 92 in St. Paul, so I know. You, that's what I'm saying. Like that's mm -hmm. our 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 past concept. Yeah, like we're talking Gustavus Adolphus College, Carl Christian Gar. You mean my homeboys that I was the first black person they met. You mean and I I went in there thinking like, wow, this is super cool because I'm meeting people that are completely their worlds are completely different from where I'm from. You know what I mean? And I loved it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, but until we really start changing our trajectory and say. I see different and I'm going towards it. If I see someone that's, that's looking like me, they might not be like Zach like me, but that's not drawing me in. The difference is what draws me in. So until we really start embracing that that's the path of opening up the door as an individual on just a spiritual level so that you can get all that life has to offer in this lifetime, you know what I mean? Then we're going to be, unfortunately, you know, 
I, you know, and I hate what, when I hear people saying like, I'm worried, I'm so worried. I'm worried about the next presidential election. I mean, I'm worried about what's going to happen with the mayor election. I mean, I'm worried about what's going to, like, because right now we're, until 2025, there's going to be a different major election going on. To nothing, no dust is going to settle into 20, 2025. But you know, it's like that. That it's like that thing we don't want to talk about. That I hate Trump, and I just like, why do you hate him? Why do you? Why do you hate anyone? But like, oh, he's fucking basic. And I, I hate you know this Lori Lightfoot. I'm like, why do you hate her? You're like, cause she's like, you know, she's a black woman and she's gay. I mean, like, why do you mean like I hate Joe Biden? Like, why do you hate him? Does he uh, he said an N word? He was locking us in Hillary. I mean, we have all these different things. Like, and then at the end of the day, it don't does it really affect you who the president mayor on some level, yeah. But at the end of the day, we get so caught up in the the, the what media has programmed us to believe. You mean so it's like Trump and all his trumpeteers in these low-end, you know hillbillies from the around the world that are like I'm like that's not true no i know black i do you know how many black republicans there are i can introduce you a whole group of black republicans that are making seven figures that will love him <laughs> you know what i mean i know i know latino republicans that like no that own um oil wells all throughout Texas that are, you mean, but until we, until we get into like the inertia of just like the inertia of, dude, stop it. Like live your best life, you know, who you are so that you can just like rise above that. We're going to just constantly be in this. And at this stage of the game is really just an excuse to not be great. You know what I mean? Cause we can't even say that we don't know anymore because there's, here you are with your podcast. I've done my podcast. I mean, there's YouTube. There's like Google, this, this this stuff's been talked about. And then secondly, if you are that way in this day in America, more than likely you're gonna run across someone like you or me that's gonna like tell like I mean when, when we first saw each other for the we hadn't seen each other in a while. You I mean we saw each other and we got into this deep conversation with our mutual friend? I'm like, no, this is an issue because <laughs> Everyone doesn't have the same access that these people have to have that kind of business. <laughs> and that's a real thing. And they won't. It's just a sad reality. They won't because they there's too many things that come with that. And that's okay. That's what I'm saying. It's not that it's like, it's not that it's okay, but it's okay for right now, especially if we're addressing it. You know I mean, because then they might truly say, like, I did not know it was an issue that um this group of people truly can't have this kind of business. I really didn't know that was an issue. I thought everyone had, you know, and some people, I, I've heard that. I I've think we're doing a that. whole episode. What Toriana's talking about right now is the cannabis uh, distribution of licenses in Illinois. And I'd actually like to bring you back and specifically like focus in on that because I think you really give such great perspective. And we do need to have platforms where people get to listen in and be like, wow, I truly didn't know that, right? Because that can actually be true. Somebody cannot know. And we need to get that level of bridging in the conversations and communication so that true change can take place as opposed to um, just se separate worlds revolving around themselves. Yeah. It yeah, I mean that's and that's that's the thing too. Like with the cannabis thing, that's just a perfect example because some people really 
did not believe that certain people didn't have access, just historical access. It's not just like, oh, you're not trying harder. Like, no, they don't have access. They like because of education level. I mean, the application was 26 applications in one. You mean I'm pretty smart. I had to hire a law firm. <laughs> I'm blessed because I had the money to hire a law firm. <laughs> you mean, but just that by itself, you mean I spent 30 grand on an application to get a dispensary. You mean, and those were the cheap seats. You mean, so everyone doesn't have that kind of access or a law firm to fill out an application to, to purchase a business. You mean, so it's not just that, but some people truly don't, I mean, it, it's all relative. I mean, it's like, I know friends that they couldn't tell you the cost of milk because they don't buy their own groceries. It's all taken care of. They never, they haven't pumped gas in their car because they have someone to do that. You mean, it's like they couldn't tell you the cost of basic things that your average Joe knows how much some toilet paper is. You mean like, that's okay. Because it's all relative, but until we start building these communities that are balanced out, you know I mean, and not homogenous, but and that goes back to our community leaders, you know, as far as true urban planning, you know I mean, true, like, I'm not going to create housing that's just all one group, you know what I mean? And that's where these conversations have to go to these other people that, so that they hear them like, hey, you know what? You're right. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to lean on the fact that some people... Truly, they don't know because you only know what you know. You know what I mean? What you've and been exposed to, to, what you've been allowed to learn, what you've been allowed to read, what you've been allowed to see. And as much as people don't want to believe it, if you're at higher economic classes, there are lots of things you don't have exposure to outside of the world of privilege that they operate in. And it doesn't mean they don't want to always. So like what Toriano's bringing up is some of those folks would look, look and want to see it properly, but we have to bring the conversations to the right spaces so people can really get a glimpse into different worlds and different classes and different economic impacts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and not, and you said it earlier, I'm going to go back to what you said in eliminating the fear. You know what I mean? It's like, it's terrible that someone will get in a situation to be in prison. You know I mean, but we can't, they can't become a leper. You know what I mean? It's terrible that a person will be in a situation where they have AIDS, but they can't become a leper. It's terrible that some people are born into where I'm from, North Lawndale. You know I mean in their fourth generation, you know, late car, fourth generation welfare, fourth generation section eight. You mean fourth generation, like no one has gone from out of high school. You mean fourth generation family of felons. You know I mean, but we can't say, oh, you're a leper. <laughs> you know I mean, and that's we 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 have to stop just being afraid of people that aren't quote unquote you know, society's norm and touchy-feely and approachable and being okay with going to that person that's like, you clearly, not only you don't look like me, you're like someone that could potentially harm me. And then you start talking to them, you're like, wow, you're all good. I mean, that's what we, we learned that in, with dog training principles, that dog bases, the dog bases everything off instinct and scent, period. And on a primal level, it's, it's, it's really that simple. You mean, I see you, your body emits a certain pheromone, my brain says this, period. You mean, until we just really get down to that, you mean, what does your, your mind say based upon your pheromone? Because that's always going to guide you because mm. that's your subconscious guiding you. You mean, mm. but when you turn off that pheromone detection and you shut down that subconscious, you're always going to be misguided. Take race out of the equation. You're going to pick the wrong 
husband or wife, you're going to pick the wrong job, you're going to pick the wrong child, you're going to pick the wrong dog, you're going to pick the wrong everything because you're just afraid. You're afraid to truly free fall and let that come to you because you're pursuing, you're not attracting. I mean, but when we start really embracing those, I mean, I can say for myself, my world is amazing because I, I attract, I don't pursue. I just, I just, I transcend because I know that I'm just a human at the end of the day. You mean, and I, I understand how all these just different things work. I mean, but I, you know, I, I and, and I let people be, you know I mean, when I hear racist things, I hear racist, sexist, classist things all the time. But I'm just like, it, for me, when I hear it, it's more like, wow, I have grace and mercy for you because your education was miseducated. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and it's even a bigger tragedy when you did go to Harvard. It's even a bigger tragedy when you did spend X amount of money at the Latin school or the Montessori school or this, 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 this. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I say this all the time. I said, you know, the best dog trainer in the world is that guy that's pushing his shopping cart with no leash and that dog's following him. Because it's, it's strictly just like, I need you, you need me. I'm pushing this cart and I'm digging in this garbage can. I might find something. I might eat something. And whatever I don't eat, I'm tossing you. You're going to eat, but you're following me because you need food. And I need you because when I go to sleep at night, you're making sure that no one's messing with our cart. <laughs> and it's the best relationship ever. You know what I mean? And that's how we have to get back to human beings. It's like, it's the best relationship ever because will you be on my podcast? Absolutely. It's like, it doesn't matter how busy I am because it's important because the information has to get there because we're transcending all of it because someone is going to get one person. It's going to get more than one person. But if it only did get one person, that's one person that can never be the same after receiving the information without we're receiving the download. And that's what we're really talking about is that the download has to be completely different, but the people have to be willing to receive the upload. And until they are, I mean, we're going to be at the same spot. And that's really, I don't even like, and I want to put it back, not even on the people that we know that need to change. We know who needs to get, we know who needs it, but we have to stop having leaders like you and me not do anything. That's, that's the biggest issue. You mean, I, I know, I mean, I put my life on the line. I put my money on the line, put my family's life on the line, put my family's money on the line by running for all of it. You mean, and it's like, but it had to be done. <laughs> you mean, because, my experience of you taking me out of a car is going to be entirely different. You mean, but those eight black males that saw me, that changed your whole trajectory. You mean, as I told them later, what I did was not right. He, he brought, took me out of that car for no reason, but you cannot deny a city state official that has a badge and a gun, your license. Because they own that life, the state owns that license. It's not your property, right? That could end you in jail or could end you in harm, potentially. But I understand how to manipulate it and play with it. And that day I was playing with it. You know what I mean? But on a more positive note, until we really get everyone to the ability where we can just, we feel so comfortable and we're, we wake up in the morning, we're excited about finding things that are different from us. <laughs> Is not going to change, but that's why we need our leaders to step up and, and and make the time to do that on a daily basis. Yeah, exactly. That we're examining ourselves always and and confronting our own fears and confronting our assumptions 
around places we're willing to go, not willing to go, conversations we're willing to have, not willing to have, asking ourselves why. Not always pushing ourselves there, but saying, huh, isn't that interesting? My body reacted this way. Because you can Mm. think in your mind you're operating from one way, but your body could respond entirely different. And a part of like decoding racialized trauma, and especially back to the, you know, white listeners, you know, we may think we have a persona and identity of one thing, all is great. And we have all these wonderful friends and they include people Mm. of all culture and go put yourself in a community of say Inglewood or North Lawndale or Bronzeville, where you're the majority, where black people are, are mostly around you. And you're the, maybe the only white person don't do anything. Don't say anything, but watch your own body's response, your biological response because it's only by challenging the falsity of, of what your mind is saying compared to your body reaction that you can start untangling a lot of what Toriano is talking about. He's talking about breakthrough the fear and the assumptions of the cultural compartments that you're supposed to belong in and realize it's such it's so much broader and bigger than that. But as white people, we've never had to do that because we're that privileged group that doesn't have to confront race because our race is the one that everybody's striving to be. And that is Mm. essentially false, historically untrue. And once you travel the world, you realize that's also historically not true because people didn't separate based on the color because colors have had shades all throughout time. Um, But they separated based usually on religion and regions, state, nation states, you know, and And so now as the world gets more and more commingled, it's less and less of a basis in which we can, anyway, it's never been a basis for people, but it's less and less of one because there's so much more of a complex commingling of nation states in our own bodies. And so it's not, um, it's what Coriano brought up as antiquated. A lot of our Mm. approaches are antiquated, but so is the body memory in our, in our, in our nervous system, right? It's antiquated history that until we bring up and look at it as false, like, wow, no, this person is my friend. He's also a black person. He's also successful. Therefore the cognitive dissonance that I've been trained that black people are X, X and X is actually inherently not true. And pulling that stuff apart is not a mental game. It's not as simple as listening to one podcast. But this podcast might bring up historical memories for you. And suddenly you're like, damn, where did I come to think of that or believe that? And that untangle is what this work is all about. It's realizing, damn, I was trained one way. And that mm. shit's just false. And, false. I'm, and I'm meeting a person who's breaking that model in my mind. And, and I have to up-level my capacity to see people as humans versus the car- compartmentalized cultures that I've been trained to see them. Um, or perceive them, right? Or Mm. perceive ourselves, right? You're more than American. You're more than a black person. You're more than this. You're more than the the job you hold, but we haven't been taught to claim identity as bigger, right? And that's, that's this process of globalization and what you're talking about. We're moving into metaverse. We're moving into whole new dimensional ways of relating. So if we don't get basic communication down, it's only getting more and more complex. And you said, just to add to what you just said is that I love antiquated. It's old. It's over. I mean, it's, it goes back to what in that movie, you have to watch the movie White Tiger. It's White over. Tiger. That was a, just a gem. Oh my God. He's, the cast system. It's big. This is really big. Have you seen that movie? Not yet. I can't oh, wait it, to watch it, though. It, I can't wait. Netflix or something? It's Netflix, but it's one of those that you're not, 
you're gonna be like, wow, I'm glad he told me about it. But it's like antiquated and the other word, it's over. Simple as that. That that mentality is so over. And it, and, and and it's and it's for our world. And this is before we end, I just want to say this is that we're moving into what we call web three, this whole 5D, you know, and, and it's like our time together as humans is, is going to become limited. I mean, because you have Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and Gemini, five mega billion dollar companies run by some of the brightest human beings on the planet that are designing how to take this Zoom virtual to mean augmented reality where we're going to be sitting with glasses on and that's going to be the true interaction that is going to be very expensive for a face-to-face conversation you mean so what we're talking about right now is going to be antiquated pretty soon because we're going to be dealing with each other's caricature dealing with each other's avatar dealing with each other's what they call digital twin you mean where it's like hey guru Put your hands in the camera. Oh, I love you. Right? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's going to be all visual stimulation. You mean, and, and the touch and the experience as a human is going to be dependent upon you. You mean, or someone that's touching you while you're visually experiencing something else. Like, that's a whole other conversation. But my plea to the world is like, and go experience as many people right now as possible because that's coming to an end unfortunately very soon you mean and that's and that's not doom and gloom but it's the same way that we, it, it, it's no, the same way as like when telegraphs went to phones which went to computer like internet like we can't grasp it now what Triana, this is a deep conversation i want to bring you back so we can really go here with you because i know you got a lot to say on this topic but it blows my mind a little what you're saying but i also want people to get perspective that just 20 some years ago jumping online and communicating across the world with video it was unheard of and so well, like like this right here with the zoom right i mean that's like, what i'm saying my exactly one of my companies we're, we're we're not even working on zoom anymore we're working on you know meta where meta platforms put your glasses on you put your glasses on and you we're walking we're interact <laughs> but we're we're full body inside of this virtual space so we're not going to even have i mean this right even zoom is is going to be antiquated pretty soon you mean it's like human human communications and interaction is going to be virtual so it's moving us further and further away from interpersonal communications so get your interpersonal communications on right now while you can because it's going to become more and more premium it's going to be more and more difficult right because the same things that we're talking about are going to be there they're just going to transfer to where it's going to be virtual and so it's going to be that much more of a complex because it's like you're not Forget saying something racist. Forget saying something sexist. A lot of people are just going to be so far removed from just human interaction, period. You mean, because it's not going to be easily accessible. Take take COVID shutdown on steroids. Take COVID shutdown intentional. Take COVID shutdown where 50, 60% of the population is working from home on their computer with these glasses on. Like, that's coming. That's not that far away. By 2030, for sure. I mean, no one... No one is saying that this is no one is saying that this is going beyond 
this decade. I'm thinking it's going to be sooner than that because um, I just I digress slightly, but this is important of why grab your human communication because before all this, I was in the music industry and I remember top executives saying this thing called Napster, this thing called LimeWire and iTunes, it's a fad. People are going to always buy a CD. I mean, and that was in 1998. People are going to always buy CDs. You know, the digital download, it's a fad, but they're always going to want to feel the CD. They're always going to want to see the credits. They're always going to look at who was the drummer. And they were wrong. It became digital. It became downloadable. It became something that I didn't need to know who was the artist in the studio. I need to read the credits of shout out to my mom and my uncle that was there when I was playing guitar. You mean, so we know that it can change just like that. I'm saying, because we know that it's coming and we know that it's not going to be beyond 10 years. So just take me, I'm 48. Over these next 10 years, I want to have as much yummy, experienced, delicious communications and hugs and touches as much as possible now. Because just human touch and interaction and close proximity is going to be so premium. You mean, we won't even have the opportunity. Like you said, some racist because it's like, if I said it, I said it online. <laughs> which we're going to have a whole new set of cultural problems that are going to be based online. Well, everything extends. Anything we don't unpack now is going to just extend and, and be on, on steroids and new dimensional experiences. And that's what I hear you saying in all this is mm-hmm. start unpacking this stuff now because it ain't going to get better just because we're creating a different dimensional world. It's just going to get amplified and more compact and more complex. Amen. <laughs> okay. Um, on that note, last last words for white listeners or all listeners operating in whiteness that you want to drop? I, I, you know, be, be, and it's such that we have to say this, just be, be, be kind to yourself because an injustice to me is an injustice to you because I'm your brother. You I mean, I'm your friend. You I mean, I'm, I'm, I, we're, we're all in this together. You I mean, and we shouldn't have to need another tragedy like a COVID or a George Floyd or any other world issue not even local domestic issues, but globally. You I mean it's the butterfly effect. You I mean we all are affected by whatever's happening wherever on some level. So just think before you say something that you really are just saying it to yourself because until we really start treating people just like that's that's my simple like I just treat you like how I would treat me. Period. Simple as that. And then you stay out of trouble and you meet tons of people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you thank you for your gems um i want to intro your song you want to tell us why you chose the song for your episode i chose um you know i got sold by rock kim because rock kim was a pioneer in 1988 changed my life i just it was so mind-blowing it was a technology it was like i he was a god you know he's probably one of the few musicians that everyone refers to as a god i mean like and, and he's alive he's not dead everyone refers to rock him the god you know because he came out with just this perspective that was just so clean and just you know i guess so that's why i came to teach those who can't say my name mm. i thought about mm. you and me i guess so <laughs> that's why i came to teach those who can't say my name I mean, mm. that's where you and I are like to teach those who can't say our name because the, the gym is in our name. The gym is in your name or your name is whether your name is like Lisa or whether it's Tatino. It doesn't matter. You have to teach people 
how to say your name and to say it with love and conviction. You don't need a complex name like what we've been blessed with, but that's why I chose that song. Thank you. All right, let's listen. Um, as always, we don't hear the entire song because of copyright, but you can listen to the uh, Uncomfortable Conversations on Whiteness podcast uh, for the uh, playlist, um, and it's on Spotify. So here we go. Eric B and Rakim, here we go. Been a long time, I should have left you. Without a strong rhyme to step to. Think of how many weeks shows you slept through. Time's up, I'm sorry I kept you. Thinking of this, you keep repeating your miss. The rhyme from the microphone solo with. So you sit by the radio hand on the dial soon. As you hear it, pump up the volume. Dance with the speaker till you hear it blow. Then plug in a headphone, cause here it go. It's a full letter word when it's heard to control your body to dance. So, dot text the tempo like a red alert. Reach it to reflex and let it work. When this is playing, you can't get stuck with the steps. So can say, and I'ma still come up with. I get to be swift. Follow the leader. The rhyme will go deaf with Ooh. the record that was missed a long time ago. It could be done, but only I could do it. For those that could dance and clap your hands to it. All right. Again, listen to the playlist. Get that full song. <laughs> that was great. Um, I want to just thank you so much uh, for showing up and being a part of this podcast. I want to thank, thank all you. listeners for being here, for taking this in. And um, please remember that dismantling whiteness is an everyday, mm. all day, lifelong endeavor. It does not end. It's a commitment to think and to do and to live better than we've ever been expected to or allowed to before. Dismantling white body supremacy begins inside of you, inside of me, and inside of the collective we. In our personal mm. commitment, in our bodies of culture to grow the white experience beyond assumed supremacy. I invite you to listen, to learn, and to grow beyond the limitations that whiteness has and continues to impose on all of us. If you need support and want to stay connected beyond this listening space, you can connect with me at gurunishan.com. I'm a writer, speaker, and trauma healing activist offering free and paid resources, online courses, and consulting in body-based cultural intelligence. And if you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, please email me at gn at gurunishan.com. Please also like, subscribe, rate, and review. And number one, please share this podcast with someone that you love. Your listening and sharing support is greatly appreciated. Thanks for being here, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. The information presented in this podcast are for general educational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed are solely the views of the individuals involved. By listening, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Nothing in this podcast is intended to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Guru Nishan LLC and affiliate organizations shall under no circumstances be liable to any listener of the podcast or viewer for any action or inaction on your part as a result of the content you consume on this podcast or for any adverse reaction, including any emotional distress you experience as a result of consuming this podcast. <laughs>